Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are. This is Tracy Murda with Future Tech Podcast on behalf of Richard Jacobs. Today I have a very special guest joining me. Oliver, are you there? Hi. Hi, I have Oliver Tibblewhite. How are you, Oliver? I'm pretty good, and how about yourself? I'm great. Now, Oliver, you are head of special projects at Rewind VR. So I really want to take a moment to thank you for joining us today, and I'd love to get started just if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this business. Uh, well, essentially, I was originally trained as a network engineer, so uh, switches, routing, uh, general network connectivity. Um, I used to work for a uh, publishing company, um, and my at-the-time boss, he, uh, he asked me, he went, do you want to go to Cannes Film Festival in the Carlton Technology for two weeks on the beach? And I said, 100% yes, that's definitely the sort of thing I want to do. I asked my at-the-time boss if I could have two weeks off. Uh, I had the holiday lunch, and he said no. So I asked if I could have two weeks off unpaid, uh, and he said no to that, so I quit. And now the rest of this is history. Um, but from a, from a company point of view, uh, we got into... Um, virtual reality uh, from a background in visual effects and post-production. So initially we did sort of architectural visualization, uh, some CG VFX stuff, uh, adding a bit of in here, removing wires from movie shots and that kind of stuff. So when uh, the Oculus Rift DK1 came along, uh, it was a simple transition for us as we already built everything in 3D. Uh, it was just a change in our render pipeline and instead of making one pretty image a day, we changed to 90 frames a second and the rest of those days history. So tell me a little bit about the mission and sort of the vision of Rewind VR. Uh, so we're a content production agency is how we describe ourselves. We um, service uh, brands directly. Uh, we also work with large um, agencies to deliver virtual reality projects, um, normally in the sort of uh, media pushing uh, space. So a lot of marketing, advertising, digital out of home interesting. Um, but in this uh, particular um, drive is to create uh, new and innovative content and realize um, ideas using the technology that previously been thought um, either difficult or impossible. So we uh, really um, relish a good challenge. So tell me about Rewind's platform. How does a company get started creating VR content? Uh, so as, as I mentioned briefly earlier, um, for us, um, it was a simple transition. We already thought about everything in terms of 3D objects from our background in visual effects and post-production. Um, if you're adding a building, if you're doing architectural visualization for a building that is not yet created, you're working from 3D plans. And it's all about creating um, good content that is believable for the user. Um, a lot of VR content uh, that's being created at the moment is technically very interesting, but a lot of uh, content lacks the, uh, the polish that comes with uh, sort of the level of content that we've become to expect. Um, everyone with a digital SLR camera can now shoot amazingly high-quality, crisp um, HD video. So we're used to a very high level of production value, even for the most sort of budget-conscious production, whereas a lot of virtual reality content at the moment is quite uh, obviously expensive to produce. Um, so you end up with um, a lot of technically quite interesting content, but it lacks 
just that level of premium polish and feel that people come to expect uh, from all levels of content. How do you think that Rewind is helping change and evolve virtual reality concepts? We as a company have a, an extensive uh, conference and speaking program uh, throughout the last year. I think we spoke uh, upwards of 40 different conferences all over the world uh, from brands, agencies, uh, and so on, uh, both sort of uh, on an overarching general um, here's kind of the state of the union for virtual reality, where we are at the moment, where the technological limitations are currently, but also looking to the future and looking at the emerging technologies and how they're going to uh, change the way that already we are starting to work within VR. Um, but uh, outside of that, one of our directors, Dr. Um, Mikins, uh, is one of the uh, founding members of an organization called VR Together, um, the idea being that um, we connect people with um, really great ideas for VR content that might not necessarily be... Um, commercially viable, but also but have um, intrinsic special worth and is a piece of content that should be made, um, not necessarily from a business case, but from a kind of an ethical point of view. And the idea is that people with those ideas and those uh, visions, uh, to put them in touch with agencies and organizations like ourselves with the expertise and the resources to actually produce this content and have to redress a little bit of that sort of karmic balance um, by uh, donating our time and efforts to uh, more worthwhile endeavors. So how do you see that Rewind is sort of helping change and evolve virtual reality concepts? So uh, we are um, forever pushing the boundaries of uh, what can be done within the technology. We don't look at the uh, HTC Vive and just see a display. We look at it and see uh, a whole ecosystem. And then how we can uh, augment the already existing technology. So it's adding uh, force feedback systems, motion systems, interactive technology, uh, anything that can um, increase the level of presence and immersion for the user. Um, often uh, things are, are quite safe. So we recently built um, a uh, launch tool for Jaguar. So in uh, November of last year, we launched the Jaguar iPace concept vehicle in Los Angeles. Um, to 66 people all in HTC Vives, all in the same social VR experience. Um, so we had 54 people in one room in Los Angeles uh, and 12 in a room in London. We then connected those together with a high-speed dedicated internet connection. Uh, and then at, uh, at the time of the launch, we sat down 54 journalists in one space, 12 in the other, and allowed them to communicate with each other. You could look at the person next to you and have a conversation with them. You could um, all sit around the same table and have a social uh, tech table experience whilst still being presented to by uh, Jaguar senior design team members uh, from a studio next door and actually be able to have a two-way conversation with that person uh, the same way you would during a normal press conference. The only difference being, of course, now that location is now irrelevant. Um, I, I remember one quote uh, that said about it was, uh, product launches will never be the same again. So what are some of the other specialty content that you've worked on recently? You just mentioned a bit about that. So uh, well, we've done another project for Jaguar quite recently as well for the uh, launch of Jaguar's Formula ET uh, at the Paris Motor Show. We produced a, a competitive uh, VR Formula E experience that allows you to compete in a number of driving challenges against uh, you and five, uh, against five of your friends. Um, these are all HTC Vive seated experience with rumble packs and uh, simulation grade steering wheels, um, which have since then been on tour with uh, Jaguar to a number of different motor shows around the world. Um, and obviously then you've got a social leaderboard content out the other end, which is, again, socially shareable. Okay. So 
When it comes to virtual reality production, how do you guys help break the barrier between the viewer and the product? Okay, so um, virtual reality uh, as a medium has a number of key benefits over more traditional sort of uh, screen or uh, print media-based um, advertising, and that's the way we remember it. Um, current mm -hmm. uh, research suggests so we remember VR experiences uh, in the same way that you remember the real world. So no longer is it something I saw on TV or something I read in a book, it's now something that happened to me, something I saw, no longer something I read. Um, and that change in the way we experience and remember the content has a fundamental change in uh, the way we respond to uh, messaging. Um, so for education and for uh, training purposes, it means that no longer does the oil rig engineer look at a plan and have to visualize what that might look like. He can now put on a VR headset and transport himself to that location. It means when he arrives on site, he already knows the location of the fire exit, the ways in and out of the um, uh, potentially dangerous environment. And the ability to uh, make sure that those are ingrained uh, within the person's memory and not just... Um, trying to recall them um, is really interesting. Um, and obviously, then that has massive implications for both of the uh, marketing and entertainment space as well. So, would you say are there some difficulties surrounding VR production? Yes, there are, there are almost endless difficulties with creating VR yeah. content, be it sort of the, the, the entry-level 360-degree video end or the full, kind of full real-time, truly immersive, real-time engine-driven VR content. They all have their um, intrinsic difficulties. Starting off, uh, obviously, with 360-degree uh, video, there are no perfect capture solutions at the moment. It's all a number of cameras uh, kind of stuck together. Um, be it GoPros or be it some of the more computational uh, cameras from people like Jaunt or the GoPro Odyssey camera. Um, all of these have intrinsic flaws. You can't have an infinite array of cameras, so you can't capture everything from every angle. There is always going to be a stitch error unless you get into the computational stitching like the jump platform offers, uh, where they essentially use the uh, cameras as a sparse light field array to build up a uh, 3D scene of each frame, and in which then they render back that 3D point cloud as uh, a video. So it's not actually a stitched video. It's something that's been created from the source data via computation rather than trying to uh, mesh two different video streams together. For the real-time stuff, we also have to consider um, emotion is one of the biggest things. So everyone wants to you know, build a roller coaster, build a driving simulator, but we have to be very careful of the vestibular system of the person using the experience. Because uh, obviously, if you're sitting down wearing a VR headset and you're not physically moving, your inner ear, as far as you're concerned, is completely stationary. But if your eyes are telling your brain that you're moving, you get that disconnect, and that's where motion sickness can come from. So, uh, within virtual reality production, management of your vestibular system, ensuring that what your eyes and ears are telling you is in agreement, so you have a comfortable and enjoyable experience, is a paramount important, and is one of the hardest things to effectively do. Um, there, there are all sorts of techniques you can uh, use to assist with this, um, specifically for motoring things, uh, making sure that you're quite low in the vehicle, give yourself a nice sort of, we call it a virtual horizon, because uh, obviously the car never moves uh, relative mm -hmm. to your person, the world moves around you. We as human beings are quite happy to sit in a car driving along the motorway um, and have that be okay, but it's when you look down and try and read a book in the car that people start to get motion sickness. And that's because your eyes aren't seeing any information that agrees with what the vestibular system is saying. 
as long as part of the thing that's in your field of vision always agrees with your vestibular system, your brain can overcome the difference between the inside and the outside of your virtual world. And that's something we find is incredibly powerful. Uh, simple things like uh, just raising the level of the dashboard a little bit, sitting a little bit lower in the seat, just so there's always something stationary in your peripheral vision. It's massively beneficial. Oh, my gosh, I never even thought of that. Such great detail has to go into this, I'm sure. So, Oliver, you talked a little bit about how product launches are you know, never going to be the same. So where do you think virtual reality use for those product launches is headed in the future? Well, for, as, as a first um, kind of initial thought, the, um, the travel implications are massive. No longer does the company have to pay for the expense of shipping journalists halfway around the world to one central location for that launch to be at the first launch. You can now attend the launch from anywhere in the world uh, and still get the same level of interactivity and access that you would get to the, uh, the designers, the uh, managers of those products, as if you were there in the room. Um, and no longer are there good seats and bad seats. So no longer does it matter if you're sat in the front row for the keynote because everyone is sat in the best seat in the house. For the Jaguar experience, we had tables of six people. So six people all wearing vibes sat around one table in a, a social experience. But uh, for the person within the headset, you're always being presented to by the presenter directly opposite you in the table. So they always look at you and they talk to you. So you always get that one-on-one -on -one connection with the, uh, the content. You're always sat in the best seat in the house when the car reviews. Uh, happens, you're always sat at that lovely sweet quarter so angle view, perfect for the vehicle. And it's making sure that everyone gets uh, an equal and um, enthralling and engaging experience rather than feeling potentially left out. If you're in a room of, let's say, 400 journalists and you're sat in the back row, you might feel like you're not being paid as much attention to as your publication deserves. Um, whereas, obviously, in virtual reality, everyone can have that perfect view. They can have that one-on-one -on -one experience. You're no longer standing in a line to get close to a piece of technology. Uh, waiting for your turn. Everyone has access to that uh, product, as long as it is obviously applicable to the medium. So, Oliver, what industry do you think will benefit the most from VR content creation? <laughs> well, sadly, that's, 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 that's the big question. I, I honestly don't think that there is any industry that will not in some way be affected by uh, the the creation of this brand new medium. This is the first time in 120 years that we truly have a new medium. 120 years ago, we invented cinema, let's call it. Um, and we've been evolving that ever since. But uh, since then, there hasn't really been the creation of a brand new way of communicating ideas, telling stories, uh, and sharing information. Uh, and I think um, my managing director says that virtual reality is, sorry, Mixed reality headsets specifically, so things like Microsoft HoloLens and Meta headset, are the most important change uh, in how we function as a society since the invention of fire, which is obviously quite a big statement. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and personally, I say that virtual reality is applicable to anything that is dangerous, expensive, or otherwise prohibitive. So back in the, uh, the battle days of the DK-1 and the DK-2, we built a uh, VR flight simulator for the Red Bull Air Race. It puts you in the cockpit of an Edge 540, sends you around iconic racetracks around the world, so in the last phase of Motor Speedway or Ascot Racecourse here in uh, England, um, at 200 miles an hour, 50 feet off the ground, which is an intense experience. And for oh, most people, from a, from a budgetary point of view, it's completely inaccessible. There are only six of these two-seater planes uh, in, the, in the series, and um, almost no one has the, the access or the funds to be able to do this. But virtual reality is a really good way of giving you an idea of what that's like, to give you a, a, a 
peek behind the curtain and get a bit closer to the action, um, which gives you um, experiences that would otherwise be completely unavailable. Um, we also recently built um, a experience for the BBC called Home and Immersive Spacewalk, and it allows you to climb around the outside of the International Space Station um, oh, right. a simulated version of one of the um, most recent British astronauts, um, uh, Tim Peake is his name, um, one of his spacewalks to uh, infect and damage the International Space Station. So they like you to go and climb around the outside of the International Space Station, which is something that I, as a, you know, not particularly um, uh, scientifically active or um, physically active um, member of either the Armed Forces or the Air Force, is ever going to get the opportunity. I'm never going to go to the International Space Station. But now I can have a, a chance and a glimpse to see uh, not just the curated content that's being produced, um, by uh, broadcasters and NASA to show me what they want to show me. Um, the interactive uh, VR experiences allow me to go and inspect and take as long as I need and look at those different things, the little details. Uh, during the creation of the experience, one of the um, most enjoyable things that I had was um, I got sent the uh, manual for the Quest airlock on the International Space Station. And it turns out getting out of an airlock is much more complicated than they make it look in the film. It's not turn the little handle, wait for the cage to go down and open the door. It's mm -hmm. hours and hours and hours of preparation. Um, and for me, I find that fascinating. And if I'm a colossal space nerd, but, you know. So how close to reality do you think we are becoming when it comes to, to VR technology w with the experience itself? I think that the virtual reality technology that we currently have is approaching the level where we can suspend our disbelief and we can uh, sort of accept the vision we are pre presented with. Currently, the displays uh, within the headsets are not nearly high, high enough resolution, but given the currently available computing power and graphical processing power that we have, they're probably about right. We can't go much further with our current computing hardware. However, as we, uh, we are continually advancing and innovating in uh, processing power uh, realm. And as uh, more processing power becomes available, the higher resolution VR headsets will start to enter into the market. And once we stop seeing a screen and start seeing uh, an environment, I think that's when we'll truly start to um, see some of the really interesting pieces of content. Um, currently, one of our most sort of interesting developments we think in the VR headset space is the integration of eye tracking into the headset, um, primarily as a, as a technological tool, but then also as a narrative storytelling tool. Um, the ability to track where your eyes are looking in the headset means that you can render the portion of the screen that you're looking at at a higher resolution and the portion of the screen that you're not looking at at a lower resolution. This gets you massive performance benefits. Um, it's called foveated rendering. We've seen anywhere between 60 and 70 percent uh, bonus um, in uh, performance uh, for the same uh, hardware. So on one graphics card, you can run 70% more polygons in a given scene, which allows us to dial up the detail level massively. But then also the ability to have real-time effects. So I can tell whether or not the person in the VR experience is looking at a character in front of them or the wall behind them, which then allows you to do depth of field effects, which again have massive um, believability uh, factor because we as human beings perceive the world with depth and field. If you focus on something close to you, the stuff behind it goes out of focus. The ability to then replicate those effects in real time in VR headsets makes the little steps towards um, a completely believable VR environment and anything we can do to your um, visuals that increases the believability for your brain increases your level of immersion and the feeling of presence. 
And I, I think it's those sort of technologies will also add massive um, uh, tool sets available for people designing uh, AI and character animations. So it's no longer, am I facing the di in the direction of uh, this NPC character I want to actually interact with and driving the interactions off that? It's, am I looking at them? Am I paying attention to them? If, they, if you don't pay attention to them and look at them while they're speaking to you, they might get annoyed or frustrated like a real person would in a real situation. Because we as human beings rely so heavily on eye contact for meaning, nuance, to get a feeling of how the person is responding to what it is you're saying. As soon as we can measure those responses both in us as uh, players and also uh, vice versa, um, to replicate those within characters, allows for much more meaningful connections with NPCs um, within environments and within VR spaces. So, what does the the future hold for Rewind? Well, there's a question. Um, over Christmas, we moved into a uh, brand new bespoke studio built for us um, uh, to, to to kind of grow the company. We were uh, packed in like sardines okay. into our previous uh, establishment, but now we have five times as much room, much more room for. Uh, activities, as we say, so hopefully continuing to grow and push the boundaries of what's possible in this industry. So are there any new product launches or anything exciting on the horizon for Rewind that we should know about? So many things, so many things, <laughs> but sadly I can't talk about any of them just yet. Um, uh -huh. We're working some, um, some very high-profile uh, pieces of um, immersive VR content for launch later this year. But sadly, I can't tell you that much more about them. Um, from our point of view, um, what we're so excited about next probably is our next VR lower event. So um, we also help uh, run and organize Virtual Reality London, which is obviously a, a small VR conference um, that we host every few months. And I think the next one's going to be uh, mid to late March. So um, that's kind of what we're probably next excited about from a launch point of view. That is amazing. Is there any other final thoughts or information that you can possibly share with us today that you'd like to, you know, let our listeners know on, about? Hmm. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head uh, currently. We're um, settling back into our new studio, and uh, there are a couple of pieces of content that will come out in the next few days. I'll keep my eye on the uh, Jaguar social media. Well, I really thank you, Oliver, for giving us a, a sneak peek into your world of virtual reality. Oliver, I just look forward to seeing where all of this technology takes all of us. And I really, again, appreciate your time today. It's Oliver Kibble-White uh, from Rewind VR. Oliver, we look forward to hearing from you soon. Well, thank you very much for having me, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening <laughs> as we just get started. And you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.